Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 6, Episode 14, Fortunate Son. Mary, what happened this week? Donna fills in for Lisa at her convenience store job and becomes acquainted with Isaiah, who tries to shoplift a teddy bear for his little brother's birthday. Donna pays for the bear, and Isaiah returns the favor when Joe runs out of gas trying to drive her home. Donna, realizing Isaiah and his brother and sister are home alone, orders pizza and sticks around until their mother, Mrs. Holcomb, gets home. The Alphas hold a casino night at the pee pad to raise money for kid care, a daycare center, or chain of daycare centers, it's not clear. Brandon does what Brandon does when there's gambling involved, and Nat has to give him some tough love. They offer off a portrait sitting with Colin, and Kelly and Val fight over it because apparently no one else is interested. Val wins the auction, angering David and Kelly, who both both assume she's trying to get in the middle of Kel and Tabinson. How do we ship name them, honestly? Val tells Kelly she just wanted the portrait to give to David as a gift. Donna is able to leverage the Alpha's donation to kid care to make sure Mrs. Holcomb has reliable child care while she finishes nursing school. All she asks is that Isaiah help someone else someday when he's able to. Steve gets an internship and kind of has to fire his boss. Official petition to make Kellen Tabinson the name? <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to remember that, but also it's wonderful. <laughs> I will put effort into remembering that one because I like it. Kellen Tabinson. Okay. Because like... Kellen is actually a name, so it kind of mm-hmm. works. No, it does. Wait, no, it it works. It's just a lot of ins. <laughs> Wouldn't it just be Kellen Tabins? He's calling Robbins, right? You're right. <laughs> oh yeah, he's not calling Robinson from what we do in the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but nothing would make me happier than some kind of crossover where Kelly accidentally starts dating an energy vampire. Because Kelly has a lot of energy, so, like, that man would be into her. But also, like, no offense to Colin Robbins, but he's kind of an energy vampire. Like, when he waxes poetic to a four-year-old about art, and she's suddenly like, I want to go home. I miss David. Like, of all people, I miss David. (laughs) I know. Just like, oops, I spilled my ice cream. Guess we have to leave. Right? (laughs) Like, she is actively trying to, like, block it. And he's just like, ooh, four-year-olds. That's why he kept feeding her, like, sugar. Because he just wants to fill her up with energy. And then she's like, oh, crap, I'm out. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm just, you know, in, like, what we do in the shadows in the Colin Robbins Robinson episode where he gets like real excited when there's a bunch of energy around him Mm -hmm. the auction between Kelly and Val if he had just like lit up like a little Christmas tree I would have died oh my god that's hilarious oh my gosh all of that would have been better than what happened in this episode it's true because let's get into it yeah I mean there's a reason why it was rated the lowest of the season so I'm glad IMDb reviewers agree with us. (laughs) I'm very glad. I would always feel bad when I don't like episodes and it's like, what are you talking about? This was the greatest episode in season six. I know. Isn't that crazy? But is it? Yep. Because it's actually almost interesting how they set this up because the first thing that happens is we're at the beach apartment where Donna comes out in that little like 
apron thing. And I love that that's literally her uniform. And she comes out and she's like, what do you think? I'm like, <laughs> I, I think you're going to art class. Like, this is not news to me. Yeah. But it turns out that she's filling in for Lisa at her job because she has Rose Queen duties. And then we find out that the postseason is over. Like, CU did not make it to the Rose Bowl. So football is over and Joe is free to just, like, hang out with the cast. Which I did like that setup of just, like, we never actually see Joe play football because as soon as he meets Donna, he gets suspended from the team and then the Mm -hmm. team doesn't make it to playoffs. Right. So he's just hanging out. And that's literally what he wants to do. He wants to hang out at the convenience store during her shift because he says it's not safe. But he's not concerned about Lisa because she's a local. Yeah, that was my first sign of like, oh, dear. You know, because I had two like interesting thoughts for this one particular scene. Number one was the fact that Joe calls Lisa a local. And then at least Donna calls him out on it and is like, mm-hmm. hang on, like, what, what are you, what are you, what are you doing here? But my second thought was like, all right, how can a person who doesn't work for the proprietor or the company can just like fill in, right? Like, wouldn't right. she just like call someone who actually works there to fill in? <laughs> That's what I thought too. I was like, the, like, is she getting paid under the table? Does she have to fill out a W-2? Does she know what a W-2 is? Right. Like, I mean, obviously with most shows, there's a lot of like Jedi mind trick hand waving mm-hmm. that goes on. But this one caught me. Like, I like I, my belief was not suspended enough <laughs> to like wrap my head around that one. I just thought it was funny. It's fine. Oh, I- like, I don't care. It's just fine. It's just oh, kind of weird. Yeah, it's- it's TV world, but yeah, my first thought was like, if I had to call in sick at Chili's, like it was on me to find another server. I couldn't just like send Mary to a restaurant she'd never been in before and been like, go for it. Yeah, that's so funny to me. But it is cute that like Lisa and Donna have like a cute friendship now because mm-hmm. not only is does Lisa feel comfortable enough asking Donna to help her, but it's cute that Lisa has Rose Queen like duties that she has to fulfill and Donna like totally gets it right she's like oh my god yeah like of course go do that that's so important let me help you (laughs) I know like that's probably the best highlight of this episode is that Lisa is still around I know I love I'm really enjoying Lisa so far I really like her and I yeah I love this friendship and I love that Donna has no problem like truly stepping out of her comfort zone to go to this place even though Joe is really struggling with it yeah yeah he really is and I think like you kind of hit the nail on the head there with Donna it's like she's so excited and willing to like you said step out of her comfort zone I think that just fits her character so much because there's this Mm -hmm. level of earnestness and almost naivety about her like that she she goes into every situation with a positive look right and like she's like oh yeah why wouldn't this be fine or like there's nothing to even consider that could go wrong or something like Mm -hmm. that she's just automatically like friend needs help I will help like I will be that friend and obviously in this episode like what we'll see is her that earnestness and kind of that willingness to help there's a negative side to it at times Mm -hmm. but it's so genuine and, and just she very easily could be the protagonist of a superhero show. Like, she could be a superhero. She's a golden retriever. 
She sure is. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So we get the credits and we go to what I presume is downtown LA and they have some very interesting music in the background. Like we are very much setting a tone here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, this is our B-roll for this episode (laughs) to set up that there is a casino night at the pee pad, which now explains to me why Steve was gambling so much and like constantly trying to make bets with Brandon. I was very shocked that the gambling came back. Like normally breadcrumbs are, I mean, that's the thing with TV is like, you wonder is it's the whole Chekhov's gun thing, right? Is this important or is this just coincidence? Mm -hmm. And the gambling came back. I was in complete shock. And like, it actually makes sense. It's not like they've just decided to do a casino night. It's that the alphas want to do a casino night and they needed a venue. And apparently, you know, Kelly had to ask Val to have it at the pee pad, which, I mean, it makes sense. They probably got a pretty heavy discount. Val is still trying to like get in with everyone. And I just love Kelly helping out and just being like, "Mm mm-hmm. (laughs) they can banter forever i could probably listen to them like argue about the phone book or something you know like i just love their chemistry i like sarcastically wrote in my notes valerie and kelly are in love (laughs) i i wrote kelly is helping question mark and then i wrote "Uh Mm uh-huh like yeah it makes no sense that they just have to keep being in situations together, but I love it. Oh, I love it too. I also noticed that when like the written by story by credits come up, Larry Mullins is on there twice. Oh. It's like Steve Wasserman and Larry Mullins and Jessica Klein and Larry Mullins. He is that important. <laughs> he is that pivotal in this role. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we like get a wide a wider shot and a wider look at the pee pad as they're setting it up and Immediately, we find Brandon at a blackjack table. And who let him there? Um, not sure, but Claire and Steve are playing with him. And, you know, it. Claire being there makes sense. But Stevie, like, he knows Brandon's former current addiction and is just like, yeah, this is so fun. Like, they're playing blackjack together or whatever. And th- it's going to come up more blatantly later. But I love that Claire's already figuring out how to count count cards. Like, of course she is. The intellectual of the group. (laughs) I love that she is. And, you know, it makes sense that some people in this cast, like Claire and Susan, would have no idea what's going on with Brandon. Maybe even to an extent, like David and Donna and a few other people probably don't know. Mm -hmm. I imagine Kelly has an idea about it just because they were close in high school. They dated, like... She dated his best friend. She was best friends with his sister. Like, all this kind of stuff came up. But, like, this is the thing with Steve where he's being a bad friend and I don't care about him enough to, like, just of course he is. Well, and it's almost like he doesn't even realize he's being a bad friend. I think the self-awareness is what kind of gets me is, like, he just he just doesn't know or care enough there is definitely a lack of awareness on steve's part for this entire episode yeah because i don't really 
care about his storyline, but it turns out that he's got an internship and he thinks that the woman he works for is hot. Yeah. He literally, like, makes these comments in front of the person he's dating. Yeah. And she makes a face. Which she's justified for. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's just literally Steve's story this episode is that, yeah, he got this non-paid or unpaid internship by the hands of Rush at a talent agency and he's like worried about working for his boss because apparently what she lacks in personality and something else he's she's hot like, i want to i want to say it was like personality and brains or something like really yeah. just a skeezy way to say things and i'm like steve a lot of people would say that about you my friend right like nepotism and failing upwards and steve is sitting here like judging other people and their brains yeah whatever but we do get you know for as little awareness as steve has like contractually obligated nat truly plays a good role in this episode like he does when brandon comes into the peach pit like nat's first question to him is like is this a good idea for you should you be here Mm mm-hmm he reminds Brandon and the viewers, if you haven't forgot or if you don't remember, that, yeah, Brandon, like, got into big trouble. And the good news is, is that we flash back. <laughs> and I love these flashbacks and voiceovers and stuff. They're so cheesy, but I love them. So we flash back when Brandon was, like, in a big pile of crap with Nat's friend, the bookie Duke, and owed him so much money. Um yeah, so the, whew, it was just such a downward spiral. And Nat's like, hey, man, remember, you don't want to be here again. And, like, Brandon is just such a 20-year-old or 21, however old he is, because he's like, no, Nat, I've got this under control. I, that was, like, three years ago. I was 18. I was, like, a baby. I've mm-hmm. got this now. Which Ooh. I love the flashbacks. Like, I love so much that – we are getting to a point in this show where, like, if you were watching it week to week, you might not remember these things. But, you know, we watch it a lot faster. We don't take mm-hmm. summer breaks. We're talking about it on a podcast for hours at a time. I'm like, oh, Nat, I remember. <laughs> like, it's almost insulting. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, yes, Nat, I was there. I have been talking about this for weeks. It's true. That is something we actually do bring up frequently is Brandon's gambling addiction. And for it to finally come back is so rewarding. It is. And I got to say, like, they got me. I really was not expecting it to come back. And I'm so happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not happy. I don't want Brandon to have these problems. But, like, I can appreciate it. And I appreciate how it happened. Yeah. But on, like, the other side of the peach pit, Kelly and Colin are, like, actually kind of being adorable like I'm kind of okay with this because she's like oh I'm drawing a portrait of you and then it's like a silly cartoon and he's like oh you forgot my hair and my silly eyebrows mm-hmm. and we find out that Colin there's gonna be a charity auction within this casino night and that Colin has put up a portrait sitting And it's this whole thing of like, oh, do you really think that people are actually going to bid on this? And they say there's a sucker born every minute, (laughs) which like is a quote from P.T. Barnum, which then made me think of 
when we did the musical Barnum in high school. And there is a song called There's a Sucker Born Every Minute. And it has been stuck in my head since I watched this episode. <laughs> That's awesome. It's but it's also true. Like, yeah, he's like with the amount of art that my in-laws buy when they go on cruises is bananas. And like, I'm not saying they're suckers necessarily. Like, I don't want to be that harsh. If there's art to be had, they will have it. It's so, they have a big art buying addiction. (laughs) I think my favorite thing about him saying this is that the only people that bid on his sitting are Val and Kelly. Yep. So like, yeah, there's a sucker born every minute. It's the two women you know and nobody Mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. But also like, wild amounts of money that they spend on this. We'll get to it later. Hoo-yah. Hoo-yah. Because they're doing all of this. This whole event is for charity, and it's for these, like, child care centers. They say, like, child care centers all over the South, which when I think South, I think, like, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, but there's apparently, like, an arm of it in L.A., so maybe they mean Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico. I don't know. Yeah. I would think so. That's kind of what I how I took it. But yeah, it's all setting up to like, this is why we're doing this. There's going to be a point to this. It's all going to come back around later. But then they kiss. And in the background, we see Val just like looking on sadly, sickly. Like she does not look happy that they're kissing. Yeah. It's like at first she kind of like grimaces. Like, yeah, I, I'm like, are you about to vomit? Like... <laughs> Right. Like, Val, you were in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Back I think, but, yeah. But, I mean, like you said, they're they're in love. <laughs> Val, Val cannot stand somebody else having Kelly's attention. I mean, that's the thing. Like, at first, I'm like, maybe Val really does, like, want Colin. But the further we get through this episode and see what happens with the three of them, I'm like, no, she just... It's the same thing with Kelly. They just both want to hate each other mm-hmm. and find new ways to like one up each other. And it's kind of fun. It's really fun. And I think I don't remember what exactly like how we got on the topic, but like maybe an episode or two ago, we were saying like Val just can't help herself. Exactly. Like, she wants to be in the group. She wants to be in with the avocado heads, but she just like that need to stir up trouble and drama just like it's constantly in her stomach and every now and then it just has to come out yeah (laughs) and there's like truly I do not care about the Steve storyline there's a short minute where he's in a cubicle answering phones we meet the woman who's in charge of him she is I guess we're supposed to assume she sucks and is bad at her job and then she totally sucks up to the boss because the boss likes Steve and that's it. Yeah. Next. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we go over to kind of the other side of town where, you know, we find out that Lisa's job is at a convenience store. Mm-hmm. And Donna's there. She's behind the counter. She's starting her job, starting her shift. And this kid walks in asking how much the this bear costs. He can't afford it. So... You know, Donna's just like, I'm really sorry. And then we actually see him attempt to steal it. Mm -hmm. 
And Donna's coworker stops him. And Donna says he already paid for it. So Donna is immediately like, I, I want to use like careful language here because I love Donna. And I also think that she, all of her intentions are a hundred percent pure. I don't think in mm-hmm. any way, shape or form is she trying to do something out of line. It's just interesting that she immediately is like, I see a kid who's trying to steal something, but I don't, I see the good in him regardless. So I'm going to, I'm going to pay for it for him. Mm-hmm. Which I think, you know, it had to be a teddy bear. If he was trying to steal even a candy bar, like she might still say something, but it's going to be different between stealing a candy bar versus stealing a teddy bear for his little brother. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I do think it goes back to what you said about like Donna's just naive. Like Mm -hmm. she wants to see the best in people. And so I don't think, yeah, that there are like these, you know, intentions in what's happening here beyond he wants this bear for his little brother. He can't afford it. I'm going to help him buy it for his little brother because I have $5 in my wallet. Yeah. Like to her, it's not a big deal. And Mm -hmm. she immediately like empathizes with him to say, yeah, that would be, that would really be unfortunate if I was, if I wasn't able to pay for something for my brother's birthday. Yeah. So and he tells the her coworker Stan that he's just a kid. You know, like it's like this isn't a big deal. He's just a kid. It's he. I think what's important is that Donna's intentions are one hundred percent pure, and she recognizes that we rec- his name is Isaiah. We recon- he she recognizes that Isaiah's intentions are also pure. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. want to steal it, but he wants to give his brother a present. Like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We even see him like think about putting the bear back. Mm-hmm. Also, like it's just because it's TV. I think it's hilarious that he like turns the corner, goes to put the bear back, thinks about it, stuffs it in his shirt in front of the big mirrors that they put on corners so they can see if people are stealing stuff. Mm-hmm. And then like takes off down the aisle where Stan is. Mm-hmm. Like Stan is right there. Like they are just showing like this kid is bad at being a thief right which is also probably the point (laughs) yeah for sure and we jump ahead to the end of her shift where joe has come to pick her up stan loves her because of course he does (laughs) and isaiah is waiting outside and he you know thanks her for what she did he keeps insisting like i'm not a thief like this is not me i just wanted to say thank you and then Donna's like, well, just make sure you can pay for things before you leave the store with it. And they get in the truck and he just goes, cool. <laughs> it's like, I love it. It was so weird. I was like, what is cool about this? Isaiah. My dude. My dude. <laughs> A- another short moment where Steve is in his office. We find out his boss is getting fired. That's it. Yeah. Back to Joe and Donna. So Joe is driving Donna home and, you know, they're kind of looking around at their surroundings and like Donna gives Joe crap for not asking for directions, but also like, why don't men do that? You know, again, another kind of like naive comment, not naive, Mm -hmm. just like, there's nothing wrong. It's just a man thing, you know, like kind of, and Joe also says he doesn't want to stop for gas in this area. That's the Mm -hmm. second comment he's made. That's 
not great. And they literally run out of gas. And I just had a 2022 moment where I'm like, oh, yeah, if you didn't know where you were going, you just didn't know where you were going. (laughs) Right? You'd have to have one of those big map books in your car and -hmm. you'd have to know like what quadrant on the map you were. You couldn't just pull out your phone and be like, okay, where's the next place? At best, you could like call your mom and have her open her big map book and you can be like, I'm at this intersection. Can you direct me to a highway? Because if you can get me to the highway, there's probably a gas station. Like, yeah. I mean, admittedly, like we are too young, which we don't Mm -hmm. get to say that anymore, but (laughs) we're too young to like really remember maps, you know, like being used on road trips and things like that. Like, the the earl the I guess the thing I remember ahead of maps was MapQuest, right? Because yeah. we were we were were born and raised in the era before the internet as well as right like right when the internet happened. And so I just remember my mom having tons of MapQuest papers just all over her car. And I'm like, Mom, how do you even know which one's the right one? She's like, Trust me, I know. <laughs> well and Like, my family grew up in, like, the same parts of town. Like, my grandparents have lived in the same house my entire life, so presumably, Mm -hmm. like, years before that as well. So, like, when we would go on road trips, like, my parents just wouldn't have directions. Yeah. They would just be like, I know how to get there, and I know Elk Grove Village, Illinois, like, the back of my hand. Yeah, and it was all about landmarks. Like, if you pass this church or if you pass this store, like, you're on the right track. (laughs) Yeah. No, every time I get in the car with my dad, I will, like, if I'm driving, I will plug in my phone. I will put the GPS up because that's just, like, that's how I've been raised. I have Google Maps up regardless of if I need it or not. And, you know, we'll be where he grew up. And he'll be like, yeah, you just go to 14 Mile and you turn right and go two blocks down to – you know, Orchard Lake. And I'm like, dad, it's on the GPS. Just let me do it this way. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like without fail. It's just so interesting. I mean, you know, especially places that like, you know, we know, like I know easily how to get to your house. I know Mm -hmm. how to get to Shelby's house, like all that, like in my brain, I've done it enough times to where I know, but yeah, still without fail, put up Google maps. I tell myself mostly because it's traffic, right? Like I want to like see how bad traffic is going to be. But yeah, it's such a like security blanket now. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine Joe and Donna here just being like, hmm, hmm, hmm. We passed this before. (laughs) And yeah, like Joe doesn't even just have like written directions out that like Donna can read to him as they go. Right. They, and like, so they literally run out of gas. <laughs> literally. And I'm going to like skip some of the casino stuff to stay on them for a little bit longer because they get out of the car and they have to start walking because they either need to find a phone to call like AAA or they need to find a gas station. Mm-hmm. And they're like walking around. Joe is clearly very nervous in this neighborhood because – it's got a different demographic than he's used to, I guess, mm-hmm. which is wild to me because he plays football. Like, and he's not from California. Like, he's not, fr- he makes a comment later about not being from a bougie place. 
So I will say I actually looked up on the Wikipedia where he's from and then the demographics from the 2000 census from that (laughs) city. It was 80% white. Oh, okay. So even though he's from what, like Pennsylvania? Yeah, it's like Pigeon Hill or something like that. Beaver Hill. I think it's Beaver Hill. It's just still very white. Yeah. But like, I don't know, when you're – at this like elite quarterback level, like he's going to national camps and he's, you know, playing on these multiple teams. Like it seems weird to me that Joe wouldn't be used to like just anything. Yeah. I don't know. No, it's true. But yeah, they're like trying to walk around. He's getting nervous. Like it feels like when they jaywalk that he's trying to get them to cross the street away from people who are just like working on cars in their driveway. Yeah. But these guys pull up in a car and are like, hey, are you lost? We'll take you to get gas. And then they ask them like, oh, was that your truck back there? And my mind jumps to like their car is going to get stripped. These people know that they are lost and they are uncomfortable and they can go back to this truck and just like pull the tires off of it, Mm. which is very much not what happens. Like (laughs) Isaiah comes out and is like, oh my gosh, you guys are finally here. Let's go inside. And they're like, oh my God, thank you for saving me. And it's like, these people didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, They were going to take you to a gas station. And as viewers, I have no evidence they were going to do anything else. Yeah. And especially like, again, seeing the difference between Joe's body language and words and Donna's body language and words, because Donna's like striking up a a conversation with the folks that pull up to them in the car. Mm -hmm. And she, like, gives a smile to the people that I walked past who are working on their car. Like, all this stuff. Joe is being the one that's, like, super tense, super, like, eyes down, like, mm-hmm. protective mode. I'm like, Joe, what are you – protection from what? Anyway, it made me uncomfortable seeing how uncomfortable Joe was. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, like, Isaiah comes out and – yeah, acts like he knows them better than he knows them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Which yeah. there was a point when Stan catches him stealing and is like, why did you put that uh, teddy bear in your shirt? And he's like, oh, so, you know, the guys in the gang down the street won't take it from me. So, mm-hmm. like, I guess there's also kind of this presumption in my mind that Isaiah recognizes these people and knows that he should get Donna and Joe away from them. But again, yeah. this is all like a total guess. From what yeah. is actually on the screen, there's no problem. Yeah, I think I think that was it for me. It's like I hate having to guess, right? Mm-hmm. Like like especially when it comes to stereotypes because yeah. in this regard, it's real it's you're not helping things, right? Like like no. having the storyline and Joe be uncomfortable is one thing, but then feeding into the uncomfortability or that he should be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I don't like having to wonder if that's what they're trying to do rather than just call a spade a spade and either show me that there's nothing to worry about or show me there is something to worry about. Exactly. And it feels like they've done this on episodes before when it's this very special episode. Like I'm thinking about home and away when the people show up to the homecoming dance and like yeah. we're supposed to be scared because they're showing up drunk and there was a whole like gang violence thing at their high school like days before but they're all fine it's okay yeah. like it's just it's a weird way to handle things mm-hmm. 
But Isaiah takes them into his apartment so they can use the phone and, like, get them away from the people in the car. And his siblings are so adorable. (laughs) They're very cute. Oh, my gosh. Tanya eating peanut butter out of the container. (laughs) That would have been me as a kid, like 100%. And my dad would have let me because he loves peanut butter just as much as I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, we would literally, like, as a bedtime snack, just take a spoon and the jar of peanut butter and take a spoonful and eat the spoonful of peanut butter. That's it. Oh, I literally still do that. Like, I love it so much. (laughs) He's babysitting his siblings, and it's, like, very clear that his mom is not home, and he's, like, 11. I think they do actually call out his age at some point. Yeah. And Joe and Donna are making, like, side eyes about parents not being home, at which point I was like, "Mm, privilege, Donna. Look it up. Because, like – she grew up in a mansion with a mom right. that didn't work, maids, butlers, chauffeurs. Like, Donna is a privileged girl who had all of these people around her. And it's very clear that Isaiah does not have a mansion. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, like, again, it's the perception, too, because if Donna and Joe had come to my house, maybe not when I was 11. But I don't remember what time my mom started leaving me and my sister at home after school. But it was like, or during the summer, but maybe around 11, maybe 12, maybe 13, something like that. But it's like if Donna and Joe had walked to my house, you know, back then, they would have seen the exact same thing. No mom, no dad, because they were either working or whatever. The only difference is, is I didn't have younger siblings to like, quote unquote, babysit. And, uh, like, the perception of my house looked different than what Mm -hmm. Isaiah's does. Like, I think that's the thing that bothered me is that, I mean, there's a lot of things that bothered me about the storyline, but it was just that it was all wrapped around, like, assumptions. Yes. You know, like, we have to assume. I mean, there are some things that Isaiah blatantly says, like, his mom's at work and he doesn't have a dad, right? Like, those are some things that are explicitly given to us as facts. However... It was not outside of the realm of possibility for kids my age at 11, 12, whatever, to be in this exact same situation, Mm -hmm. but yet there were no assumptions made. You know, it was just, that's just what happens. Like you're 11 years old. You can take care of yourself at least enough to like have a snack. Like there's a Lunchable in the fridge, like whatever, you know, like have at it. Mom will be home by five or whatever it was. Like, that's just what it was. Yeah, well, and, like, this was a very, like, 80s, late 80s, early 90s thing. It was latchkey kids. Yeah. there was a term for it. You just, you had to stay at home by yourself for a couple of hours after school because mom and dad had to work or mom had to work or dad had, you know, whatever. Yep. And, like, when mom comes home later, she literally says, like, I have a pager and also you don't know me. Exactly. That's why I was, like, like, I'm glad I'm at least glad that even though we had all these assumptions, we still got some like facts around it. Like, like when Mrs. Holcomb comes back, she's literally like, the heck are you doing here? Like, this is my house. You don't know me and my family. Yeah. Cause Isaiah says like, oh, well I can't feed you because I don't have enough food for you, which is fair. Fair. Like, also, Joe is a football player. Like, that boy could probably put some food away. Seriously. And this woman is not going to feed him just because. 
Just because he's there. Yeah. Yeah. But then he also says that they need to leave because his mom will be upset if they're there because they'll probably take the situation wrong and might call defects. And they're strangers. I mean, that's honestly, that is what his mom freaks out about when she gets home is Isaiah is like putting his siblings to bed and Donna has ordered a pizza and so they're cleaning up dinner. And this woman is like, who are you and why are you in my house? Yep. It's so, yeah, that's the thing is like it has nothing to do with the like socioeconomical thing here that's Mm -hmm. going on that they're trying to tell us about. No, it's the fact that there are strangers in this woman's house. (laughs) Yeah, which like it bothers me how much it is supposed to be that Donna is like, this is a horrible life for these kids when like, no, it's Benjamin's birthday. So like – Mom got up early to make a cake to make sure that he had a cake for his birthday. Mm -hmm. They have food for dinner. Donna just ignored it and bought them a pizza instead. And then when Isaiah is talking to them about his mom, he's so proud of her. Yeah, like she's not just leaving them at home. She's literally like going to school to become a nurse. Yeah, and he's like she's going to be a full nurse next year. Like he is so proud of her and like – You know, yeah, it does kind of suck that an 11-year-old has to babysit his siblings. But guess what? Older siblings babysit younger siblings. Yep. My siblings hated babysitting me. I still needed attention, so I didn't die. Yeah, I didn't have older siblings, but I had older cousins, and they did the exact same. Like, my cousin, I vividly remember wonderful memories of my, like, I don't know, at the time, 15, 16-year-old cousins coming to babysit me and my sister. Like... That's just what happened. I like, Right? Uh, yeah. I think I appreciate what they were trying to do. And they were trying to like – they were trying to address privilege in this episode. I fully mm-hmm. believe that. And I do think it's absolutely 100% necessary at all times to show people that they need to recognize pr- privilege. But I think yes. you can do it without having to go so far the other way. You know what I mean? Like because just because Isaiah is a black boy – doesn't mean he's got to be poor, you know, or that he's a latchkey kid or whatever the circumstances are. Like, you don't have to feed into a stereotype to still show privilege. And I think that was the only thing that bothered me. I'm not mad that they brought up privilege. I love that they brought up up privilege because I'm sure a lot of shows weren't doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, I just, it's always the thing. It's like sometimes the execution just isn't there. That's all. Yeah. And I always feel weird talking about it because, like, we are three privileged white woman let's be honest talking about this show so like when we try and address it I feel like there's just a lot of blind spots that I still have 30 years later with the knowledge that I have just because of how I grew up yeah I think there are some interesting things that they did in this episode that I disagree with but yeah I don't have a better option because we'll actually I think we can get to it pretty soon I do want to say Isaiah's mom was on Buffy and you've seen her already. What? Yeah. What? she's So she's in season two in – oh, God, what's the song? I think it's called, like, Killed by Death or something when Buffy gets the flu and ends up in the hospital. She's one of the doctors in the hospital. Oh, okay. Yeah. I knew she looked familiar. I just couldn't place it. Yeah. I was like, she looks familiar because that was one of the few episodes I've watched very recently when you were – going through season two, I was like, I'm just going to pop in one of the DVDs and just watch the whole thing. (laughs) 
That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, I feel like this is a good point to pivot to the casino night because basically after Donna leaves Isaiah's house, you know, they get dressed up and they go to casino night so we can like kind of merge yeah. the two stories. Sure. Because when we first see casino night, Brandon is gambling and he's gambling next to Susan. Susan has no idea about his gambling issues because he has not told her and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. But she is like racking him up and he is completely out of chips. And <laughs> she is trying to be so cute and like his, you know, issues are rearing up. But she's like, oh, you can have some of my chips. And if you're a really good boy, I won't even charge you interest. Right? Like, she has no idea what's going on. Meanwhile, like, Brandon's, like, intensity level is just, like, inching up. Inching up. Inching. Yeah. (laughs) And we find out that Lisa is there because she's supposed to meet up with Donna to, like, talk about their days, which Mm -hmm. is adorable. But that's basically just a setup that, like, Donna has not gotten here yet and everyone expects her. Yeah. But we go back to Brandon because he's at – like the bank trying to get another hundred dollars of chips and Nat is just like hey should we talk about this he's like you're getting another hundred like mm. yeah and like that's a lot of money Brandon we've seen Brandon have money issues with taking care of the house before and being like I have to you know figure something out so I don't have to call my parents and ask for money yeah and so, like, him blowing $100 on chips is a lot. I mean, I'm a very frugal person, so it's hard for me to fathom, like, larger sums of money. But I remember when Nate and I did gamble, I think all we bet was 100 And, mm-hmm. like, we just – we were like, all right, we're going to get $100 of chips and that's it. And then I think I've told the story before, but it's like – I literally wanted to keep our original chips away from our winning chips, right? Like the Mm -hmm. chips that we had won, just so I knew at all times we have $5 left. You know, we have $10, whatever it was. (laughs) And Brandon's just like, boom, 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 boom. Like just basically trading the chips. Like you remember those, um, those like Nerf type gun things? Yeah, the discs. Yeah. And you like set them up, just like pew, 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 just like sends all the discs out. That's Brandon with poker chips. (laughs) Right. And he is, like, so upset that anyone is going to call him out on this. Right? Like, he's literally like, okay, Nat, first you're acting like my dad. Now you're acting like my accountant. And I was like, Jim is an accountant. I know. It's 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 both. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, we kind of skipped over it earlier. We find out earlier, you know, Brandon is at home practicing counting cards because Claire knows how to count cards. Mm -hmm. And we find out that Jim and Cindy are not coming home for Christmas. So, like – there is not only like the gambling addiction that he already has to deal with, but there's also additional triggers of like, he hasn't seen his family since they all left. Right. And I think that was what, like over the summer. Yeah. Cause like they moved out probably pretty soon after the last season ended. So it's been six months since he's seen his parents. Yeah. It's a long time, especially for somebody who hasn't been without his parents for that long. Yeah, because he didn't even move into a dorm. He lived at home in college. So, like, that's 20 years of seeing your parents almost every day to never seeing them. And they're in Hong Kong. There's a huge time difference. Like, international phone calls are expensive. He probably doesn't even get to talk to them outside of emails. Yep, exactly. 
And, you know, he makes a huge deal about this. He's getting really agitated with Nat and basically just, like, snaps at him. Like, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it's something like, oh, you saved me three years ago. I think your goodwill and, like, the the right you have over me has run out. Yeah. And it kind of, like, all comes to a boil when – Susan, Brandon, Colin, Kelly, David, they're all playing craps at the craps table, which I will say, side note, is my favorite thing to gamble on because it's like you're playing with a team. But anyway, (laughs) Brandon's like rattling off all this lingo that I I was like, huh? Like what you just say? Because it's like, like he sounded like an auctioneer. Um, Mm -hmm. But he places some bets. I think David had a bet going. He was like betting the field, which is a very safe thing to do. That's the only thing I know about craps. And well, second, one of two things I know about craps. And yeah, Nat's getting really, really mad to the point where he's like, I'm going to bet everything I have against you. And that, ooh, man, that makes Brandon really, really mad. So he throws, he had won a couple times in a row, like got double fours, got double fives, like did some good things. He's winning big. He's riding high. This is the high point of his gambling addiction. And then he rolls the dice one more time once Nat places the bet and he throws a seven. And everybody, knows this about crafts is if you throw a seven you lose like it moves on Mm -hmm. to the next person yeah and there's a very like brandon looks at nat and is like oh are you happy now yep and nat's just like no like that's not the point yeah and this is the first time that susan is really seeing what's going on and it's freaking her out i mean you know she even like before nat puts the bet down she looks at him and she's like will you talk to him like what is happening Mm mm-hmm And we get some comments like, you know, Colin says like, oh, yeah, I'm doing whatever Brandon does, but betting like a tenth of what he's doing. Exactly. Because like you said, Brandon has zero problem placing high bets and getting like getting a ton of money in the form of chips. Like it just it's like it doesn't even phase him. Yeah. I mean, truly, it's an addiction. Like he cannot help himself when it's put in front of him. And he's not trying to stop. And he's doing that thing of like, I don't have a problem. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we move away from the craps table. There's a moment where Tammy, who's Steve's boss, shows up at casino night looking for Steve. And she comes up to Claire and she's like, oh, have you seen Steve? And Claire like tries to talk to her. And Tammy is just like, I'm too important for you. Yeah. And walks away. And Claire like (laughs) hates it. She like sticks her hand out and then is like... Uh, what? <laughs> and to be fair, Claire is very justified in this. Oh, for sure, for sure. She's threatened by Tammy because she already knows that Steve thinks she's hot. And then she's showing up to casino night for Steve, like late night on a Friday. Like, yeah. Hmm, sus. And she finds Steve and she's like, hey, I need to talk to you privately mm-hmm. somewhere quiet. So they go next door to the peach pit where she basically begs Steve to help her keep her job because nepotism. Yeah, because Steve, like, is tight with that president guy because he plays golf with his dad. And then, yeah, he's like, okay, I'll talk to him on Monday. And she's like, no, 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 I can't make it through the weekend. You have to go back to the office because he's definitely there because he works until 11 p.m. every single night, at which point – I stopped and I was just like, why do you want this job? Right? Like, you're not good at it. 
you would have to work, what's that, 12, 15-hour days, assuming it's like an 8 to 11. That's like, like more than doctors. That is unreal. I have left jobs for fewer hours. Yeah. Like, and it's okay that you're not good at it. Like, not everybody is great at everything. It's okay. Just, yeah. You don't want this job. I know it's a big agency, but you don't. And I mean, she says, like, if I get fired from this, I'm going to get blackballed from the business. But, like, again, I don't want this job. So yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, exactly. And so Steve's like, whatever, like, yeah, he'll do it. And he goes back to try to tell Claire that he's leaving and tries to, like, kiss her. And she's like, nope. She, like, <laughs> whoop, nope, you're not going to do that. Which, again, fair, because he says he's leaving on a mission of mercy and not being very open with her. And, like, mm -hmm. we've kind of seen Steve be a scumbag before. Like, I don't know if Claire knows his history, but, like, I'd be pissed. Yeah, I would, too. I also, like... Anytime I've had to work late on jobs before, John gets upset. Like, mm. he's like, I don't think you should have to work past six. Yeah. So, like, if I was at a casino night with John and my boss showed up and, like, begged me to go back to the office on a Friday night, he would lose his shit. Like, he would be yeah. like this. He'd be like, I don't understand why you're leaving. What are you doing? Yeah, for sure. And so Steve leaves. I guess we can kind of like wrap this up real quick because like nothing good happens. No. Like Steve goes to talk to the president and essentially the guy is just like, are you sleeping with her? And then is like, if I was sleeping with her, maybe that would have saved her job. Which like coupled with the fact that then he calls her a bad agent. I'm like, I'm sorry. What? And it's just, like, glazed over. Yeah. It's like, so – yeah, it's, like, so normal. Yeah, because the guy is just, like, well, I'm not sleeping with her, and she's bad at her job, so I can't save her, and if you're good at what you do, you'll know what to tell her. Right. Basically, like, telling him to lie to her or at least, like, guard, you know, like, not blatantly tell her what was just said. and. He does. He literally, like, mm -hmm. goes back to the peach pit, lies to her face, like, says what the president says, but then spins it to try to say, like, you're not really bad at this job. Like, you know, you're not getting, like, getting fired from this job is a good thing. Your potential is being stifled here. You don't want this job instead of just, like, owning up to the fact yeah. that she was being fired. And then she's like, I know that was a lie, but you're really good at what you do. Which, no, like I, like, I work in sales. You shouldn't have to lie and spin to, like, yeah, we spin sometimes, but not to, like, hurt somebody's feelings. We spin to show, like, okay, your goal is this. Well, we didn't hit that goal, but <laughs> here's yeah. something we did do. Like, it's, it's, it's used car salesy, and it's gross and skeezy. Yeah. And then, I don't know, it's weird because – Steve asks what she'll do next, and she's like, well, I could write a tell-all book, which is also a choice. <laughs> but he's like, don't do it because you shouldn't burn bridges because – oh, God, what does he say? It's like Russia's saying is like, remember all the people 
on your way up because you'll see them again on your way up again or something. Yeah, it's like be nice to people now basically because you're going to see them again once you get higher than they are. Yeah, it was a stupid saying. She kisses them on the cheek. She leaves. Done? Yeah. I wonder if we'll see Steve at the talent agency ever again. I honestly feel like we have to because internships last for a couple of months. But, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know what we're going to get out of the story. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. As anyway. of now, I don't care. No. And the more interesting storyline is now just, like, kicking off because we're back at casino night and Kelly has come up on the mic to, like, thank everyone for coming. Thank you for donating. We really appreciate it. And now it's time to essentially like close the part of the casino and focus on the charity auction. And that's not okay with Brandon, but he's out of money. So he has to be like, hey, Susan, will you give me $100 so I can just like throw it away? A hundred dollars. One hundred. If I was Susan, I would have been like, that's like three times my budget for this night. Right? Like- Max, I'm showing up to this thing with 50 bucks to gamble with because it's for charity and I'm expecting to lose it. Exactly. And that's the thing too. I I can't remember if it was said before this or after this, but no, it was. It was before this. It was when Val and Brandon were talking about Jim and Cindy not making it for Christmas and like Brandon's getting all serious about like counting the cards and Val's like, but the point is to lose because it's for charity. Like, the yeah. whole point is like this is supposed to be a fun way to donate your money, and, and he's very just like clearly, not having it. <laughs> yeah, Brandon is very clearly not having fun. He is feeding his addiction. Yeah, and at that point, like Susan's like, "No, you can't have a hundred dollars." Also, please stop gambling. Yeah, and like it's to the point that he goes to the cashier and starts arguing with this man of like, "I'm not done gambling. You can't stop me," even though this poor cashier is just like that's done and we're on to something else now and like Brandon is literally sweating yes it's uh, it's upsetting it's truly upsetting and Susan's upset by it she's like trying to she's been trying to be like no you should probably stop and be nice about it but then all of a sudden she's like dude you don't know when to quit and Brandon snaps she he goes full Brandon but real bad and is Mm -hmm. like and you don't know when to lay off Oh, not a good move, buddy. It's it's really bad. And thankfully, because the gambling is over, we have to move to the auction where uh, the first item on the auction is a night with Claire's dad. I wanted them to make a Chancellor's Lackey joke so bad. I know. Like, if Brandon hadn't been so busy with his addiction, I do feel like he would have gambled. He might have been like, oh, man, he hasn't been returning my calls in weeks. (laughs) This is perfect. (laughs) I don't even need a night with him. I just need his new phone number. Please. Yeah. Please give it to me. five minutes to to ask about the new task force. (laughs) But the next item on the auction is a portrait sitting with Colin. And this is very, like, main character syndrome again, where no one else is bidding, but Kelly goes, like, 350, and then Val steps up and bids 400, 
And it starts a bidding war where Val is like, you didn't think I'd let you just win this, did you? Which, yeah. (laughs) Kind of. I did think that. He's my boyfriend. (laughs) And this is just like, yeah, it's wild because (laughs) Val has not told anyone what her intentions are, which like because of that, I have no idea if her intentions are actually like later in the episode we find out she was bidding on this that she could give David a portrait of herself for Christmas but like right what if that wasn't it she just couldn't help herself and she has to bid against Kelly but like it's it's ridiculous it's so funny and so Val and that's kind of why I'm at the point where it's like yeah no I don't think Val actually really wants to be with Colin she just wants to like screw with Kelly and vice Mm -hmm. versa Because, yeah, there are so many other ways this could have gone of, like, I have to, you know, up the bidding because it's for charity. Yeah. Or, like, telling Colin ahead of time, like, hey, I want to bid on this for this reason. But instead, she doesn't tell anybody. And, like, you can even see David next to her being like, wow, I feel like garbage. (laughs) Yeah, like, hello, I am your boyfriend, Valerie. Like, (laughs) Shall we talk about this? <laughs> I feel so bad for David. So, like, I know. He is not in a healthy relationship. And he hasn't really been in one. No. Poor guy. Poor guy. But Valerie ends up winning the portrait sitting. I think it's like $600 by the time they're done with it. Mm-hmm. Which, again, like, that's like her rent for the month. I know. That's what I was thinking, too. I was like, that's A, more money than it's worth, and B, she's 21. Does she yeah. have this kind of, or we assume she's 21. She, we recall, like, her getting a lot of money and then blowing it, right? She still has the car that she bought, but, like, I don't know that Valerie really, I mean, I guess she does work at the pee pad, so she kind of controls that money. But regardless, it's a lot of money to spend in the 90s as a 21-year-old. It's a lot of money because, yeah, she could have her own apartment if she had money, but she lives in a bedroom in the Walsh's house. And I have to assume that she's contributing to the mortgage or the rent or whatever. Yeah, I have to. We go outside because AAA has showed up. They brought Joe gas. They've gotten, you know, ready to come to the casino night. And Donna is walking into the pee pad just being like, that's a Porsche and that's a Porsche and that's a Porsche. And that's a BMW. And it's a weird conversation where she's feeling her privilege. Mm-hmm. And Joe says, you deserve your amazing life. And she's like, oh, I know I do. But then fairly, she's like, but wait a minute. Does that mean Isaiah deserves what he has or doesn't? And again, this is like her naivete because, you know, yeah, it kind of sucks that you have to stay home and babysit your younger siblings. But again, that's like a normal thing that everybody has to do. And Donna's just assuming that Isaiah is losing his childhood. Right. And yeah, I mean, there is an argument. I think, I think that's like what you just said is kind of more the appropriate argument is that should Isaiah have to do this and grow up quote unquote more quickly, right? Like, Mm -hmm. That should be the argument, not the socioeconomics of it. Yeah. And I do appreciate, you know, they go inside. 
Donna starts talking to Lisa about Isaiah, and Lisa says, in case you didn't know, this is not Adopt-A-Black Family Month. Which I feel like is the such an important discussion, right? Because there's so much white savior in in kind of the whole I don't even know what to call it. It's just there's a lot of like in conflict with race, there's a lot of this white savior mentality when it's like they didn't ask for this. Like Mm -mm. they want equality. They want to be treated like human beings. But they don't need you to save them, right? They didn't ask for any of this. Well, and let's talk about how this could have been an interesting way for Donna to, you know, take this charity work that she does with her alphas to try and, you know, develop a program for, you know, more families. Make mm-hmm. it so that there is a support system for more families than just Isaiah. Like, I get that she wants to help him and this is like, you know, a Donna thing. But yeah. I feel like, you know, this conversation, Lisa says that, and then Donna puts her in her place, and Lisa apologizes to her. Yeah. And this could have gone in a completely different direction, where Lisa could be like, more families have this problem. Like, you wanting to help this one kid should really open your eyes to something bigger. And I think that's the classic thing of you the collective you sometimes don't recognize things until you're like intimately connected with it. Right. Like I think, I think a lot of times, you know, people get caught up in certain issues or certain causes or or certain things if, and when they're actually like related to them. Right. Like Mm -hmm. for example, um, I'm going to try to give something that's not super controversial, but it's like, gosh, I can't even think of one. So, like, I guess think about soccer. Sure. Right? You know, getting to national teams and getting into, like, big schools. Football probably applies to this as well. I just know soccer a little bit better with the academy system. Like, it's prohibitively expensive to get Mm -hmm. your kids into elite sports. Like, yeah. The Mewis sisters, that was a whole big thing that both of them were on the national team. And so they talked to their parents. And you find out that the dad had to take a second job mm. because it was costing like $10,000 to put these kids through camps. Yeah. So like, okay, now that we have this knowledge in front of us, let's talk about the bigger socioeconomic divide of sports and how we can help, you know, the larger community rather than just like picking out one person and being like, oh, Jess McDonald is amazing at soccer, but, you know, has a single parent and like really struggled. Like, yeah, let's, let's talk about it on a bigger scale. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of empathy can be applied, right? Like I think Donna is on the right track, you know, like she's so close because she does feel a lot of empathy for this family and for Isaiah and his siblings. But I think the thing is, is she's just got to open up her perspective a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, feel empathy without having to have a personal relationship with somebody. You know, yeah. I think that's that's really where growth and, and, and uh, you know, this country and specifically can actually grow is if we looked at people as a whole, rather than trying to like, just focus in on one specific thing. I mean, there's so many of that going on right now that I won't get into, but 
I just appreciate having a character like Lisa, and I really, truly hope she gets more episodes and more lines and more storylines other than this, because we need that perspective mm-hmm. to open your eyes and your heart to a larger, more global perspective. Yeah. You know what? I would be really interested in giving all of Donna's experiences and her personality. I don't know if we've discussed or like we've seen in the show what her um, major is, Mm, but mm -hmm. I would love if she like truly devotes her life to like doing good in a community. Like, I don't know what, you know, career path you would take, like maybe one of the social sciences yeah. But then like, yeah, maybe get, like get into poli sci, maybe take a couple of like finance classes and like really get into nonprofit work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see just because she does clearly have that level of empathy, it just needs to keep growing. Um, so you're going into, yeah, co- like community outreach, community affairs or mm-hmm. uh, or social work. I could yeah. see either either of those. Yeah, because I mean, like, you know, after – Lisa says, like, this is not Adopt a Black Family Month and says, like, they're not your kids. You can't save everybody. And then Donna preaches about supporting kids and child care and da-da-da-da-da. And Lisa calls her Saint Donna. And, like, that's the end of the conversation. But, like, I will be very interested to see if Donna preaching all this stuff and, like, wanting to take care of people turns into something bigger for her. Yeah, for sure. But that's really the end of their conversation is, I guess, Lisa gets put in her place and Donna feels like she has to help Isaiah, having only known him for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. And we get, you know, a couple of small scenes as Casino Night is winding down. We This is where we find out that David is very clearly upset that Val spent $600 on this portrait sitting. And you kind of see it on her face that she's like, oh, I didn't think about that. (laughs) That's what I mean. It's like it really does seem like she's just doing all these things to mess with Kelly. Mm -hmm. And we find out, you know, Steve has come back from work. He's talked to Tammy. We find out that Claire made bank. Like she did actually learn how to count cards and – she's got this like giant bucket full of chips and she gives it to the cashier and she's like, I don't actually want anything for this. Like Mm -hmm. this was just to see if I could do it. And yeah, I think it's so, I also just love the fact that Claire is independent, you know, like she didn't have Steve with her like the whole night. She didn't really hang out with Brandon. She didn't hang out with Kelly, you know, like she was just kind of like chilling, like, doing her own thing, winning a bunch of money, like whatever. And I kind of love that for her. I love it. And I appreciate that Steve comes and finally like tries to tell her the whole story. But yeah, just love that we really didn't see Claire at all in this episode other than her making her faces, which were perfect and justified. Mm -hmm. And then we come in at the end of it and she's like, oh yeah, this bucket of money I won. (laughs) Yeah. And so everything is wrapped up. Kelly, Donna, Claire, everybody's gone back to the beach apartment and Val comes and knocks on the door. And she's like, I came to tell you that after expenses and everything, we made $11,000. And I can't tell you this over the phone because I had to come here and apologize in person. But then it's like, you know, the definition of a good apology 
is like admitting what you've done wrong and acknowledging how the other person feels about it and everything like Val is just like I'm not sure what I'm apologizing for because I wanted that portrait for David's Christmas present but now you're all mad at me yeah and I'm also not sure why she's apologizing in the first place like I mean I, I like I know but if she's not really apologizing like what's the point I know I love this so much because Val's <laughs> just like Gosh, Kelly, I just wanted this for a present for my boyfriend, and I can't imagine any reason why this action would make you upset, but I'm (laughs) sorry it did, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it's very, I'm sorry you felt that way. Yeah, not, I'm sorry I caused this, and my actions, like, specifically did this. And this is, like, the same thing as the Rose Court formal where she showed up with Colin and Kelly just goes, you're such a bitch. And Val's just like, what? What did I do? (laughs) I'm like, I'm not upset that this is happening again. Yeah, it's funny. I hope it happens a third and a fourth time. (laughs) Every time, I just want it to be like, when have I, Valerie Malone, ever interfered in your relationship, (laughs) Kelly Taylor? It's like with Noodle, whenever she does something wrong, like, Nate literally looks at me and goes, like, he speaks as if he's Noodle, and he's like, Mama, I've never done anything wrong in my entire puppy life, not ever, not once. And I'm like, that is how Val thinks of herself. (laughs) I love this parallel so much, and I need more noodle references. Thank you. I do, too. Well, it's explicitly connected here. My cheeks hurt. I'm smiling so hard. (laughs) And then it's weird because, like, Kelly says that everyone was asleep, but Donna comes up to the door and is just like, there's a family that doesn't want to be helped, and I'm sad. Yeah. It's like, they don't need you, Donna. Like, I don't know. It's very – the whole ending part is really weird to me because I guess I just want to, like, wrap up the Donna stuff. Yeah. Because the next time we see her, she's on a playground, presumably, like, at this daycare, and Isaiah has convinced his mom that she should meet with Donna – And Donna says, like, oh, well, my sorority does a lot of work with this daycare. I can get your kids in. Which, you know, passing on your privilege, I'm good with. I Mm -hmm. do, like, really hope that Donna takes this to a bigger scale rather than just, like, picking and choosing, like, the good ones to help. Yeah, and I think, like, because Miss Holcomb makes a reference at the beginning of this scene where she says that she's been on the waiting list Mm -hmm. here for a long time so I think that fills in a lot of information with one comment right like Mm -hmm. that does give us a fact that no this is not a bad situation for this family it is just a realistic situation that the daycare Mm -hmm. that she's trying to get her kids in doesn't have enough spots so she's been on a wait list and she's made the best of that situation it's not even a bad situation it's just kind of like a timing thing yeah you know and so like that's why I'm like yeah why couldn't we get this in the beginning like why couldn't they've told us like well like Isaiah even telling Donna it's like while my mom's working and going to school like me and my siblings are waiting to get into a daycare that like that's literally it 
Well, and like the the timing of the daycare wait list and then Isaiah acknowledging like she's going to be done with school next year. Yeah. Like, there's just a lot. And then, you know, his mom says that she doesn't want a handout. But then she also is like, I'm not too proud to accept this help. So thank you. So like. I just feel like his mom is a great mom and they the family is trying to, to make the best of shitty timing. Yeah. And like cool for Donna of being able to come and like help out. But it was weird and I didn't really get as much out of this that I think the show wanted us to. Well, and yeah, and I think I, I think what will make us feel better about it is if it continues and we do see this very charitable, genuine generosity on Donna's mm-hmm. part, right? Like yeah. Because they keep pointing out, like, don't make this about this one family. They're telling us they don't want Donna to do that. So I have hopes that they're going to continue this and allow Donna to kind of broaden this, you know, kind of situation. Yeah. Which we are at the end of a semester. So, like, it could even be in, like, two or three episodes Donna's like, yeah, I completely changed my spring workload Mm -hmm. to focus on these things. Or, like, I'm becoming the, you know – head of the charity committee whatever it's called for her sorority yeah or even like we're coming up on christmas break so that's how she wants to spend her time over the break mm-hmm. like which we've also somewhere i was say we've also seen them do a lot of volunteer work so like just keep that going with donna yeah for sure yeah and so like mom accepts the help isaiah says thank you donna tells him to pay it forward in the future yeah elsewhere yeah we gotta wrap up the last thing brandon has some apologizing to do yeah nat had come up to him and like tried one more time to tell brandon to take it seriously or you're gonna lose people or you're Mm -hmm. going to lose important things and he's like i'm pretty sure i already have because susan left obviously upset about what Mm -hmm. happened and so we get to susan's dorm and Brandon does the right thing here and is up front about the mm-hmm. fact that he has an addiction to gambling. Yeah. And he tells her the truth. He's like, look, I had a problem and Nat had to bail me out and I thought I had my addiction under control and I clearly didn't. And I really just love this conversation because after he says all of these things and he explains his behavior and he's you know, showing remorse for what happened, Susan says, I'd like to help you. If you'd let me. Yeah. She doesn't force it on him, mm-hmm. but she lets him know that she's there for him and want, genuinely wants to help him, but only if he's down for it. Yeah. Like, I just love bruising. Me too. I'm telling so you, Susan, Susan is a, um, she's a straight shooter, but she's also a good person. Like, you can tell, like, good bones are there, even if, like, she's very focused on her priorities, right? She... You know what? She's Donna plus boundaries. Oh, I like it. <laughs> because I feel like she's just as like like inherently good as Donna, but she knows when to say no and like push back. I like it. I yeah. I completely agree. <laughs> and yeah, that was a fortunate son. Mhm. So, I don't know if this is actually a fun fact. This could be me just like guessing on things but I was trying to figure out you know what the point 
of this episode title was, right? Mm -hmm. And so I Googled Fortunate Son lyrics because I feel like unless the episode title is like a clear pun, it's usually a song title. Mm, Fair. And so there is a song by Credence Clearwater Revival, CCR, called Fortunate Son, which like does feel very, you know, up the alley of this show. Sure. But it is a song about the draft. Huh. Yeah. So I have the lyrics pulled up and it's like, uh, let's find a good one. Verse two, some folks are born silver spoon in hand. Lord, don't they help themselves? No. But when the tax man come to the door, Lord, the house looking like a rummage sale. Yeah, it ain't me. I ain't no millionaire son. No, it ain't me. I ain't no fortunate one. It's like, okay. yeah, I don't, I think I'm right that the episode is named after this song, but I don't totally know. And I would love, like, I didn't look if the 90210 show has talked about this episode or anything. Mm. I would love to know yeah, what their plan was. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, like, if it's, like, just an on-the-nose description, it's about Steve being handed a job. I mean, I know it's unpaid, but, like... It's, like, Steve's nepotism versus, like, Isaiah's mom doesn't have the privilege for her son, I guess. Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It's totally wrong thinking it had something to do with... Joe, but I think last episode we also guessed that it would have to do with Steve. So Mary definitely did. Yeah. I'm like pretty confident about that. <laughs> that sounds very right that Mary would get it and we would just yeah. be like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Even as a guest, like it's a it's a stretch. Like writers, what does it mean? Yeah. 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 Larry Mullen, tell me. Twice. Tell me twice. Tell me twice. <laughs> The other, I guess, like, fun fact is that, and this is, forgive me for not noticing beforehand, but Lisa is played by Tembi Locke, and I didn't even recognize her just in the 90s here, but if you guys haven't read um, From Scratch, it's her memoir, very good, very good. Yeah, after you told me that, I, like, wrote it down so I can go look at the library and see if they have it. Yeah, they should, because I got it from the library. Oh, perfect. See, that's a good fun fact. My fact was a complete guess. Your (laughs) fact is like an actual fact. Well, my fact is delayed because we've seen Lisa plenty of times now. You know what? A delayed fact is still a fact. And I'm glad we got it. (laughs) We're also talking about a show 30 years after it aired. So like. True. You're like on time. (laughs) Well, Um, you know, I don't really have a quote of the week this week. I just I like wrote down some quotes, but none of them really spoke to me. Um, yeah, I think the only one I would have guessed would have been uh, when Brandon is out of chips and Susan says she can have some of his and goes, if you're a really good boy, I won't mm-hmm. even charge you interest. Yeah, that's fair. That would have been a good one. Yeah, I only wrote um, Brandon because I do this every single time uses the words. I'm sorry. but you were right I was out of line and I'm sorry yay we get a good apology good job Brandon (laughs) proud of you proud of you I also really liked at the beginning when uh Val goes over to Kelly while she's helping and she just goes 
Uh-huh. She's like, is that all you're going to say? Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. What about you, Mary? Do you have, like, do you have a moment this week? I literally don't have a moment. I just have a random-ass thought that I added to the bottom of my synopsis and then didn't say. Just said, unrelated, imagine the name of Dr. Martin's boat if Donna had been born a boy and named Horatio. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, my God. So... It doesn't count as a moment of the week, but that's a place my brain went this week. So that's what you get. Thanks. You know what? (laughs) I love it. I love this for us. Kaylin, what is next week? Knowing it's December. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right on the money. It is a Christmas episode. Um, Significantly rated higher than this week's episode. (laughs) Okay. But that's not saying much because every episode is much higher. (laughs) But it is uh, season six, episode 15, Angels We Have Heard on High. Okay, I don't think this is it. But what if the stars from, what was that, season three come back? Mm. Do you remember when the bus phased through (laughs) a dumpster truck? We got sci-fi thrown into our teen drama. (laughs) I really hope they come back and they're like, it's been three years. Let's check in on Donna. Oh, my God. That would actually be fun. I Yeah, I would like that. I mean, that episode was silly, but I quote it constantly because Donna is an angel on Earth if ever there was. It's the truth. Does Steve dress up like Santa again? That's the million dollar question. Oh, my God. Steve is like Schmidt in New Girl where he has to dress up as sexy Santa. <laughs> please <laughs> we'll see we will so until then you can follow us on twitter and instagram at back to podcast you can also shoot us over an email if you want to for your questions your comments your thoughts your concerns whatever you got at back to podcast at gmail.com that's b-a-c-k-t-o podcast at gmail.com And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends and family. All that helps us really get seen and build a community and give you a better product. You know, send us comments on Instagram. Give us reviews. We'll give you a shout out on the podcast. We really appreciate you all. So until next week, from all of us at Backshoot Podcast, I'm going to go play Brandon's father and his accountant. I'm just trying to learn how to count cards. And I would easily spend more on a night with Claire's dad than a clown portrait from Colin. Bye. Bye. See ya. <laughs>